Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Behind the Racket Pod. The podcast taking you behind the racket with today's top tennis players and biggest issues facing the sport. Behind the Racket is a community to give fans and players in the world of tennis the opportunity to open up like they have never done before. Visit BehindTheRacket.com for the latest stories, merch, as well as direct links to all of the latest podcasts. It can also be found on iTunes, Google Play, Pandora, Stitcher, and wherever you find your podcasts. Download the episodes and make sure to leave a review. And we want you to be a part of the conversation. Find me at NoahRubin33 or Mike at MikeCTennis on all forms of social media. You can also learn more at BehindTheRacket.com or MikeCTennis.com. Special thanks to my sponsor, New Balance. Visit their latest shoes and styles at NewBalance.com and learn more about their program of giving back at hashtag NBGivesBack. You can also help support the podcast by visiting Patreon.com slash BehindTheRacketPod and receive rewards from our travels around the world. And now... Jason, Jason Kubler has been waiting a year and a half to get on the podcast since he won Little Rock. I'll try. Yeah, right. <laughs> Someday Jason Kubler will join us on the podcast, but the more important person that's joining us on the podcast right now is Robert Galloway, the pride of Wofford. Um, Thank you for doing this. I listen. This, I, yesterday, obviously, lost in in the first round here at the Australian Open. Um, let's let's start there so we get that part of of this out of the way. These moments for you um, ha- have become clearly very special. Um, obviously, a heartbreaker for you. How do you, at this stage of your career, how do you process the the whole thing when you, the accomplishment of being here, what you've gone through, and then a tough one like that. Yeah, I mean, just being here, there's a lot of pride. Like, I've, I've earned the opportunity to be here. Uh, I feel like I belong with everyone and giving myself the best chance to compete and do well. Obviously, disappointed losing. No one no one really likes to lose, but there's a lot to build on from there. And it's early in the season, had a good start to the year. So it's obviously a little bump in the road, but it's there's only up from here. So, yeah. All right. Bad stuff out of the way. <laughs> um, so the first time I encounter you, I, I think... God, I, I, I haven't done any prep because I literally just came off the court here and we've been trying to make this happen. But what, six, seven-ish years ago? Is that about, about right? Yeah, sounds right. And wrong. I just remember thinking to myself, this guy's a little awkward looking, kind of a little different on the court. Doesn't have that like normal, you know, prototypical body shape. And I just like, I'm, I'm intrigued by this young man. So talk about those first couple of years um, on, on, on tour because it was... I, I know it was challenging, especially coming from a small school, maybe not that huge pedigree, and just all of a sudden you're you're there, you're in it. Well, let's just say I'm not the most flexible of human beings, <laughs> so that's probably what gives me that uh, persona. Yeah. But um, <laughs> yeah, coming from a small school, kind of had a different path than most people, um, and I honestly was just trying to prove myself and just see what I could do. I mean, I never really had any expectation of what was possible for me. I just let's just see how far we can take it. Uh, 
with my college coach, we said two years out of college, let's mm. just give it everything you got. And now is year like eight or nine, so it's it's been going all right. And uh, yeah, just just proving myself that I belong. I mean, my path to get to here, the slams, took a long lot longer than most people. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's about the journey, right? Like it's I felt like I was still improving, so I kept going. When you were 16, what what did you imagine the next, say, 10 years were going to look like? When I was 16, I actually went to boarding school, which was not a tennis school. So I, at that point, I was college tennis wasn't even on my radar. Really? I was playing squash, high school tennis. Squash? Played a year of football in high school. I'm sorry. I'm going to need you to pause. Uh, football, I can understand. Squash. I played four years of varsity squash and actually got to the point where my last two years in high school, I was playing number one on the squash team and considered playing college squash like virginia yeah like i was in that area that, that yeah. was the area of the country i was in and right. continued yeah conti- like thought about going somewhere to d3 maybe to play some squash or something there are only like five five or six division one programs that have squash is that right yeah it's not it's not huge but it's big in the northeast and where i went to school so yeah at 16 and then kind of fell in love really fell in love with tennis again i was a good junior and was burnt out and mm. then Refell in love, and luckily, the Wofford coach gave me a shot because that was my only college offer. Let's mm. quote unquote offer. Yeah. It was basically like be a walk on. We'll give you the smallest amount of money possible, and yeah, yeah, he took a chance on me. So yeah. So what what caused the burnout, and then how did you re- refine that love at that, especially at that age? Yeah. So in the twelves, fourteens, I was a top junior in the southeast, which was one of the stronger regions. Mm. I don't know, top twenty, top fifty in the country playing my South Carolina State alone had some of the best players in the country like Hunter Harrington, Harrison Richmond, Stephen Bear, all these guys that were really good and so I played a lot of tennis like I was traveling like full-time almost as much as like a pro would missing a lot of school Mm, and stuff and got to the point where I came to high school and I was like I'm I'm done with this (laughs) I've already played like a full career and I'm 14 or 15 years old and um, obviously like different things play play a part of that but yeah getting frustrated and I was a late developer as well, so yeah. I was tiny, and so I was like, "Man, I'm not catching up to everyone else. Let's yeah. put this on pause for a little while." What was your What was your game like at that stage? <laughs> um, <laughs> crafty, like okay. I was just throwing junk and okay. not like pushing like a kid, but I was yeah. drop shotting, coming to the net, which now has helped me in my career now. But at the time, I was. Yeah, just trying to be creative and drop shots and you know, all that stuff. Yeah, uh, so Stefan Kozlov. Uh, <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, Koz was probably way better than me at that. Though. Well, yeah. Koz, Koz is a really good junior. Yeah. Like, super good. Okay, so then so then you're at this point. You're, you're going to do some squash. You're going to play a year of football, um, which, again, is also a very odd contrast there. But how do, how do you... Kind of just say, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a shot here. Obviously, we mentioned Wofford giving you that opportunity, but where, where does that come from to just say, you know what, I am going to give it one, one last look? Yeah, I mean, tennis has been a part of my family. Like, my dad, aunt, and grandfather all played. William and Mary, um, they all played college tennis, were very good. And so then just found that passion and fell in love with it again. Like, I, let's give it one more shot and mm-hmm. walk, basically walked on. And at Wofford, I improved i played number four or five my freshman year and then after that i played number one my last three years in singles and doubles so mm-hmm. yeah it was just finding that love again i mean i'm as you know i'm pretty fiery on court and yeah, that actually bit. turns into We're get to that story <laughs> it turned it turned into that fire turned into passion kind yeah. of thing like i can it helped my work ethic improve and get yeah. better like that fire i was just not content just to just be there i wanted to so, yeah, 
So you're playing at Wofford. Um, I, I listen. I was at uh, Illinois. I was. I remember they came and played basketball at the State Farm Center, and I had to learn a little bit about Wofford as I was doing the public address announcing. And I imagine. Um, Listen, it's a good area. Obviously, a lot of good talent down there. So you probably had some very good teammates who probably had impressive junior careers. But obviously, it's not a powerhouse. So, so again, I'm going to ask that kind of that same question. When you're 19, 20, and you're you're getting to that point, you're number one on your team. You're number one singles doubles. The opportunities, though, for like NCAA tournament are are very small. You don't have the opportunity to play those higher level players. How did you find that balance so that you? Kind of, it clicked over that I can actually do this at this. Oh, at, it, this is. I knew this was a possibility. Okay, let's see. Men's doubles. Men's doubles. Not me. Mm. A new team. That's interesting. Yeah. A Peter Lucasen uh, matchup right in, right in there. But how did how did that click over to just? Hey, I, I actually have this opportunity to play at a, a different level. Yeah, so I was one of seven freshmen on that team. Yeah. Um, all kids that I had grown up against in the juniors when I was younger. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> to be honest, I don't really know how it clicked over. Like, mm-hmm. I was just, again, just trying to prove myself. Like, that's always kind of been my thing. And um, yeah, I, don't, I, I really don't know. Like, it was just, let's see it, let's see how far I can take this. Like, I was lucky enough at Wofford to have my personal coach, uh, Rob Thompson, lived in the same town. And right. so. We were in it together at that point. It was, let's see how good we can get and improve. And I made some crazy good jumps. And, yeah. so how? He, Like, I mean, I was practicing like a – I didn't know it at the time, but I was practicing like professional between my freshman and sophomore years mm-hmm. and things like that. We were doing individual work, and then we were playing sets and single sets like five days a week. And we were really like – I didn't know it at the time, that, but that's what a professional train's like. But that yeah. was what we were putting into it, yeah. Okay, so then – where where we started this the first two years in college what what real realistically was the plan was it strictly doubles was there a singles component mixed in there as well but giving yourself two years is that's tough because obviously the financial component as well how did you structure that to give yourself the best chance for success in college I had no intention of playing pro okay like I actually did an internship with the Charlotte Hornets when I was in college okay setting myself I did another internship with a production company uh, manufacturing like I'd Literally had no intention to play. Producing what? I'm going to need the uh, answer here. It's like packaging. It's, okay. Yeah. It's called Sunoco. It's a packaging company. Okay. But um, yeah, I had no intention to play and I was out of school. I wanted to play singles and doubles and see what I could do. And unfortunately, doubles took off a lot faster. My singles ranking didn't didn't take quite as well as yep. I wanted it to, but doubles was skyrocketing. So I was, let's see what we can do with this okay and you've you've done pretty well um let's let's talk a little bit about the, the yeah. feisty let's see we have first title Dennis Kula. Hold, Tallahassee yes okay <laughs> okay sorry just I had to test the memory there long time ago yeah, yeah. um the, you you always kind of had this this spiciness and you don't look like a human being who would have some spiciness um there there are times when you might be down in in a set and you'll make a a little remark as you're you're passing a player at the chair or maybe you'll just have a maybe a little bit more of a prolonged argument about a call to just kind of disrupt the old me the old the old you the old you but i'm wondering where that came from because again i having interacted with you over the years that that's not your personality and how do you kind of deal with those that that dichotomy yeah, I mean, off the court, I'm very relaxed and and don't really care too much about like getting stuff like that. But um, I love to compete, and that's 
what like everyone likes has a thrill. People like to go skydiving, roller yeah. coasters. Like <laughs> competing is my thrill. Like yeah. I don't need any of that stuff. Like put me out on the the, the court, the court, the field. Like I'm gonna bring in my all. And unfortunately, at times it would bring out the feisty side <laughs> of me. Um, I know it's not the best part of me, and and I've actually been working on that a lot. But I do think it helped create that fire to to push past some of the barriers that I maybe coming from a smaller school or smaller or my non-flexibility yeah. or like <laughs> things like that. It kind of helped me drive forward in a way. Like obviously there were things I would not want to do, but um, yeah, it's, I think it's helped me in a way. Like, yeah. I th- well, I think so too, because I think it gave you a personality on the court that, that showed that you were willing to, uh, this sounds bad, but I don't actually mean it so, but like you were willing to do whatever it took to, to win a match. And I think there is, Sure, there might be an annoyance at that from from other players, but also there's just that understanding that you are a competitor at the highest level. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I like to to at least think that I'm friends with a lot of players on tour, and um, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like everyone knows that on court is different than outside tennis. Everyone's we're fighting for a living here, especially doubles, challengers. Like the difference between first and second round is, you know, like whether you're making money or not. Right. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I'm through that state, hopefully mostly through that stage yeah, yeah. of my, my career and my life. I've been the last two, three years invested in a mental coach, which has helped me. And I think that's one of the biggest differences that's taken me from around a hundred in the world to now top 50. And it's been an investment in myself and not only in my game, but in my life relationships, family, everything. So, yeah. That first title with Dennis Kudla, uh, I, I, what I have in my head is just this this almost sense of relief um, because I felt you like had been continuously growing and growing, and then that was a pretty magical week for you. And obviously, Dennis, a, a very very good partner. Um, talk about that week in particular in Tallahassee and and how it kind of kind of pushed you a, a little bit in your career. Yeah, I mean, like I've t- I've said this story a couple times is at that at the Tallahassee Challenger, I was applying for jobs on. Uh, like in the sports world with like NBA teams, it's yeah. called teamwork online. And I was spending all day just applying for jobs and stuff. And then I win that tournament and I'm like, well, let's rethink things. But um, yeah, playing with Dennis, I mean, I was very fortunate to get a top singles guy to, to play with me at the time. I'd like to think I'd have built some relationships with some of the coaches and some of the players at that time and put in that investment time because yeah. it's important. And then, yeah, that sparked my belief that, Hey, I can actually win a few of these things and continue to build. So. Yeah, that relationship building, I think that component is really hard, especially when you are at, at a smaller school, you don't have that, you're not at national team indoors or NCAAs necessarily to really kind of have those relationships. And how, I guess, where did that part come from, especially early on tour? Yeah, I think for me, it was, let's just try and be at some of these guys' matches and yeah. talk to their coaches. And if you need warm ups, hey, I got you and things like that, because yeah, I mean, I don't have, I didn't play UVA or any of these schools where it's easy to have those connections or someone help you get into tournaments or things like that. So yeah. let's put yourself in the best position possible. And so, yeah, just trying to lend a hand to, to anyone that needs any help. And I'll come watch you. Like, we have a lot of free time in the day. Like, it's an investment. It's work as well, but it's mm. also just let's support each other a little bit. So. Yeah, you and I have had many uh, talks. We I, What I'm going to bring up is is Little Rock. Is that a year and a half ago, is that that right? We had a drink at the hotel bar. Sounds right. A yeah. year and a half. Yeah, is that the right. Ben Shelton first professional tournament too? I think I yeah. think it was. Yeah. So you and I were having having a drink, um, and I I remember you were kind of at that stage where it's it'd been two three years at that challenger level, 
um, you know exactly how hard it is to break out of that. It is very difficult. During that talk, I know you were very close to ending yeah. your, your career. Um, Two-part question. What, what turned it around for you at that point? And also, uh, the more big-picture question, how do we get it so there's a little bit more opportunity for doubles players to advance past that challenger level? Yeah, I mean, I think that conversation... Yeah, it was a, it was a tough point, and um, I think at that point I almost became at peace with if I make it, I make it. If I don't, I don't. There's no shame in stopping. There's no shame in not reaching a certain level. Like as long as you've kind of been vulnerable and put yourself out there, and I think that's actually freed me up a little bit. Like mm-hmm. if I get reach a certain spot, it, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. It's like how I feel at the end of the end of the whole journey. That was it worth it, or did I leave it all out there and? So yeah, so I'm more at peace with things. Yeah. And then that second part, that's a tough <laughs> that's a tough one. Um. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. There's, luckily, over the last few years, there has been an increase of challenger opportunities, like bigger challengers, especially for doubles players, because yeah, right. the point difference is, is crazy. Um, I think having like challenger or uh, 500 qualities and things like that, maybe there'll be a, some somewhere down the road where they'll increase some of those draws and mm-hmm. give guys a chance. But I do think now that there's like more 125s and, and 100s, um, guy, the gap will start to close because you could play all challengers and be 70 in the world and then you can get in slams without playing any tour events which right. is a real possibility now on the double side yeah um i would say i would like the u.s to maybe have a few bigger challengers um i think like europe france some of those or like france italy some of those countries have more hundreds 125s and that gives guys the opportunity to to make that jump and it's tough when you're playing a lot of 75s like not many one, only one or two guys can really like get all the way through like my current partner julian cash and his partner pat and they won 10 or 11 right. 75s and then they raise here for them yeah that's like unheard of yeah and they like you know just got to the tour level right so it's it's not a realistic thing to just just play those lower right. so the u.s yeah i wish we had a few more tournaments bigger tournaments but it's so difficult right now as you i know you know this i'm i'm just gonna say it into the podcast world but you know the the hotel cost the housing cost is what is absolutely making it so difficult for all of these tournaments to get to that next level because of the fact you're having to house everybody hotel costs are up and it makes it really really hard whereas in europe it's just a little bit cheaper yeah it's it's tough and 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 i actually miss and playing challengers in the u.s like i some of my favorite memories and I still keep in touch with a lot of these house, housing yes, families that yes. I, I stay with. I mean, Winnetka, some of my favorite housing, right. Tiburon, all that stuff. And 
I think if the U.S. could kind of get back to that mindset a little bit, like offer that as to players and have good options, then yeah. maybe we could start to do it. But, yeah, it's tough in the U.S. with the, with the costs and having that. You have to provide that option. Like, Yeah. Yeah. You, you know there, obviously, and, and hopefully you're not having to actually deal with it, but you know there are some uh, changes that have happened with challenger points. Um, and just really recently, without a lot of you know, advanced knowledge um, in terms of there's that same point level for winners, uh, a little bit decrease as you go down, um, you're, you're a thoughtful and a, opinionated guy. Um, I'm, I'm wondering what your thoughts are, because I'm still, I'm still processing it a little bit myself. How do you think that will change things over the next two years? So I think those changes are just on the single side. I'm, okay. I might be wrong. Um, That's the thing. I haven't even I haven't looked yet. That's I haven't been around a challenger yet. I do think there was a little, at least talking to some some people on the tour and some tour managers and things like that. It basically just eliminates some, some guys. Were first of all, let's just say the Masters events were losing second round there, second or third round, but couldn't play like one of those 175 challengers. Here we go. Here we go. Amina Bechtis, the pride of the University of Michigan. Go blue. Um, <laughs> yeah, so guys could lose a couple rounds into a Masters, Yeah, but a guy that lost first round of that could actually go play a challenger and get more points. Right. And so they're trying to encourage guys to play more tour events. If you you're, you've earned that ranking, to actually play your kind of your level, yeah. Versus, oh, actually, I can drop down and play and get a equal amount of points. It's a big change, and obviously, I wish it would have been communicated earlier. Yes, but same. In a way, it, I could see how it makes sense to if you're ranked a hundred one ten, like. Go play qualities of a, a 250 yes. versus playing a challenger because that's the goal in the sport, right? Correct. Is to play the biggest events. So. It's such an interesting question because I think for years, you can speak to this too. We were talking about we need more events. We need more events at that challenger level. Now there's a glut of events <laughs> at the challenger level, right? And, and as a result, so the, the points, you know, the points of where they were 10 years ago, you know, say at 200 versus where they are now, it's almost doubled. I mean, it's it's crazy, and so I think they're trying to regulate. The following players Damn it. Search match for Valeria for your escort from court 17. Mm-hmm. Women's doubles. Women's doubles. Mira of course. Mm, she's Victoria good. Victoria Tomova, okay. Anna Blinkova, yeah. and Alexandra Sosnovich. That's not a bad doubles match. But anyway. I don't know who any of those. <laughs> Andreva just destroyed. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Who, um, Jabur. Jabur, thank you. Um, yeah, yes. I, was pre- I was prepping for my match. But yeah, there's just the, that... There's so many more points, and now I think they're trying to flatten it out. Yeah, and I've, and that was kind of I've obviously had a lot of conversations with with uh, some of these tour managers, and it's great having all these challenger opportunities. Like the money, the overall money is involved, yes. and, and it's great. Um, but now it's almost like balancing out the schedule to where it makes sense, right? If there's three two fifties that week, let's not have two one twenty fives and a hundred. Let's maybe during like Indian Wells or something, let's have a one twenty five where right. a lot of those people can't get in and. I think that's the next step. I think it's going to take a couple of years, unfortunately. But, yeah, it's great having these opportunities. I don't think we need to keep adding too much because then it becomes saturated, oversaturated uh, with points and things like that. And But, yeah, like, I mean, my doubles ranking is where it is, and I have almost 2,000 points. That's a lot of points to, to accumulate throughout the year, which is kind of scary shit. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's it, hopefully they can kind of balance it out. Um. Oh, here we go. Please, please go to the it's a busy time. Area. You to court three. 
Many singles. Oh, singles. He's good. Thomas Martin Echeverry. Also good. Interesting match. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, listen, I have to start going and getting ready for my match, and, and Rachel's sitting over there. Um, I want to ask you about what she's meant. Um, I, I've gotten to know her just a little bit over the last couple of years at some various events. Just seeing what she post, has posted on Instagram here this week of just making sure to get out and explore and be a part of the community in this time when you're in this incredible city of Melbourne. Um, I guess what, she, what has she meant for you personally and also especially professionally when you're out here on tour? Yeah, I mean, it's great having someone so supportive and, and, and cares about what I do, right? And she's, she's an athlete herself, so she understands the lifestyle, the what I need, what I don't need, let's give them space, let's, let's not, you know, and it's been great having her here because she can go explore the city and, and th- see th- some of the things that I wish I could see sometimes. And, yeah, I have to work and take care of my body and do all this stuff. And, yeah, let's give her space to go do yeah. her thing. But, yeah, I mean, let's, let's be real. Like any partner of a tennis player is a very difficult job. And uh, her relationship, like it's we're traveling so much. Even when we're on the road with them, we're, we're doing a lot. We have to be locked in. Yeah. We're not necessarily emotionally engaged. We're, yeah. We have so many other emotions going through our heads. So I think it's a tough tough job. And, uh, no, Ra- Rachel's done a great job to, just to be by my side, be my partner, and yeah. help me get through things, yeah. Uh, who's the better athlete? Depends on the sport. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's leave it at that. I think that keeps everyone happy. Okay. <laughs> That's a very good answer because I, she, she's kind of a badass. Yeah, she, she's, she's good at a lot of things, so I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll stick to the tennis <laughs> side. Yeah. Roback, I mean, having them as, as, as a sponsor for you over the last couple of years, I, I know that that has meant a, a lot for you as well. Yeah, it's cool being a part of a brand that's growing in the U.S. I'm the only tennis player. Um, it's, I see it all over the country in the I U.S. I see yeah. it everywhere. I recognize it. I get a lot of people talking to me about it, and Hopefully it helps them a little bit to have a player in the, in the country club sports world. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, it fits my kind of very casual, chill, like not in your face yeah. stuff. So, yeah. Okay. Let's do one hard uh, one hard question here. Oh, these uh, the other ones haven't been hard. Yeah, nice. No, the other one's just been talking about you, and that's so easy. That's so hard. <laughs> um, I'm going to give you the, the tough one that everybody's been asked at the press conferences. Okay. Um, Mr. Zverev. Um, being elected to the player council, it is a a really challenging thing, and and there's no domestic abuse policy. Um, obviously, a very difficult question, but I'm going to ask you how how you have kind of had to come to grips with that as him being one of the leaders um, of the player council. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a it's a very touchy and, and and tough subject to cover. I mean, I think first of all, the ATP WTA should should have stuff just formally on paper that. If this happens, boom, you're not part of the, like, because obviously there's different standings within the ATP if you're on yes. probation or if you're under investigation and things like that. Correct. But if there's nothing on paper, then it's obviously hard to 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 put anything against him because there's nothing written, right? right. So obviously, hopefully they can get that on paper and get that on board. And then, yeah, if you're in an investigation for that thing, then take you off the board. But where he's at right now, I understand that it's it's a tough line to yeah. cross. Obviously, yeah. I mean, if you're under investigation, you probably shouldn't be a part of it. But yeah, what do I know? It's such a tricky subject because I think it's been really interesting, and I've just put you on the spot. Clearly, the play, <laughs> but the players having to answer that question. I mean, now he's been elected, so I understand why it's being asked, right? But it seems like yeah, yeah I think you're exactly right. There needs to be pretty clear policy making here. 
And it's very uncomfortable that he's potentially part of how that solution is happening. Right, yeah, because decision-making is based on that board. And, I mean, whenever we have a problem on tour, we have to go through them, basically. And how are you going to bring something like that up if it's not on paper? So it almost needs to be kind of in the, quote-unquote, bylaws. Yes. And if you have this going on, you can't be a part of it, and boom, and it's clear and simple. But now it's just a gray area. And that's what makes it so hard for you guys to answer that question. I know that I'll get in trouble for saying that, but (laughs) you guys have... There's a lot of gray for you guys to deal with, especially in the midst of right. this type of an event. Um, okay. Jacob Meyer. We've gotten everybody just walking by here. Just talking. I guess I'll, I'll go with two things. First, do you have any questions for me? Like, you, you are always, I, I always appreciate this of you. You always seem to be paying attention, at, which I think is an incredible thing. Like, you're, you're still tuned in to the challengers, what's happening. You're always. Like, you see a result, you'll ask a question, and I always really appreciate that. Is there anything you've, you've ever wanted to fire at me here? I will ask, mm. what was your daughter Marnie's favorite mm. experience here in Australia? Because that was uh, looked pretty cool to have her here. I appreciate you asking that, actually. Um, we went to the same exhibit. I don't think you went with Rachel. No. Um, this art exhibit, it was uh, of the native people here of Australia, where it's completely immersive on all, kind of like the sphere in Vegas, just like all over the walls with music. And she's really getting into art right now, graphic Perfect. design. Perfect. And so we just took a chance, a flyer on it, and she was completely engrossed in for an hour. Where I, And it's very rare yeah. uh, for her at the age of nine to just be like, I, yeah. I love this. I just I don't have any questions. I'm just enjoying this experience. And, that was really, and, and also she got to see the court from the radio booth. Oh, it's amazing. She doesn't even care about tennis, but yeah. she was Yeah, that's that amazing. Was pretty cool. Okay. And, so. and and this is not a question. Oh, okay. But I'm very happy to see you here because insane, this is this buddy. is where you belong. You I know, this is that. the passion and what you do for tennis. So thank you. I appreciate that from you and it's the same. Like you've worked your ass off to get to this point. It yeah. took a long time to do so and I I that's what actually was going to lead to me to my last question. You did go through all of those struggles. You have come from a smaller school. You've all of these things. What's the most enjoyable part of this for you at this stage? Because there's still stressors. Some days on court are still miserable. Some days on court are great. What really about this experience here in Melbourne, in New York, what makes it so enjoyable for you? Yeah, I mean, this is why as a kid, when you're seven years old in school what do you want to do when you grow up is you just play professional sport professional tennis play grand slam like this is where i wanted to be as a kid so this is this is where i've yeah I've always dreamt of being and being able to share it with my family rachel um like have them at a lot of the tournaments things like that even people watching at home like the wofford men's team watches mm-hmm. all my matches like people that just i kind of influence in my life and and be a part of is just been really cool just to see their reactions and know that they've helped me so much so you've earned this um i'm i'm sad i don't get to see you as much um, but i really do appreciate this long overdue podcast that's on me um, but i really appreciate it congratulations on all the success thanks mike you too the show might be over but the conversation isn't join us on social media at noah rubin 33 at mike c tennis and at Behind the Racket. Expect new episodes every Monday or Tuesday. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. It really helps us expand and reach more listeners as we take you Behind the Racket.